up, Sassnacks. It's Chelsea back for another episode of the Sassnack Files. This week, I am discussing the fifth episode of Men in Kilts, Tradition. But before we get into that, I want to take a moment to remind you that you can find the Sassnack Files on all sorts of listening platforms, including iTunes, CastBox, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and many more. Also, if you have not had a chance yet, make sure you head over to follow the Sassnack Files on both Facebook and Instagram to make sure you are up to date on all of the latest and greatest news concerning Outlander Season 7 and 8, as well as the second season of Men in Kilts, Blood of My Blood, and anything Diana Gabaldon cooks up. And with all of that out of the way, let's get into my analysis of the fifth episode of Men in Kilts, Tradition. This episode on tradition has a lot of cool facts, I think, but not a lot of overwhelmingly complex things to discuss. It was one of those episodes that I really was like calling a catch-all episode the first time that I watched it, but I really do like how this episode really focuses a lot more on the inner workings of Scottish culture and things that are traditions within that culture. This episode starts out with probably one of the most crazy moments of the clan lands book and i was shocked when i read this so what people that just watch men and kilts and don't read clan lands don't know about this opening scene of sam and graham on the motorcycle is that this was actually a near-death experience for Graham. We know that Graham is overly dramatic and Sam is always making fun of him and razzing him and trying to get him to do stuff that he wouldn't normally do. That's just kind of their relationship and Graham is just kind of grumpy anyway, especially compared with Sam. But on this particular instance, Graham actually doesn't put up too much of a fight when Sam suggests that he'll drive the bike, Graham can get in the sidecar. He's like, okay, yeah, sure. It'll just be a couple of takes and then I can go off into my hotel room. It's a deserted road. This will be super chill. No big deal. Famous last words. And Graham is quoted as saying, Looking back, this is akin to a man nodding at the hangman as he slips a noose around his neck and saying, it's a lot more comfy than I expected it to be. (laughs) What proceeds to happen? This bike has a leak in the fuel tank. So it's constantly leaking fuel. If you slow down below like a certain RPM or speed, it shuts off. And so we see that happening in this episode at the very beginning. They're just riding along and then they start going uphill and the bike dies. So this happens several times and they have this guy that is constantly restarting the bike for them because it's a kickstart bike. It's not a button or a key. It's a kickstart. So we've got Sam driving, Graham in the sidecar. Graham is wearing this poncho type deal. The last time that they try to restart it, the sound guy comes in to 
adjust Graham's mic pack and he has to move the poncho out of the way to get to Graham's mic pack, but he doesn't tuck Graham's poncho back into the sidecar when he walks away. And so as the bike starts to move again, Graham's poncho gets wrapped around the axle of the sidecar and literally starts to drag him out of the sidecar and his head is like super close to the wheel. It's a very scary moment. Sam is super panicked because he's like, oh my God, did I just kill my friend? Graham, all he can think is like, oh my God, I'm going to die right now. He's seeing the axle of the bike and yelling, stop, 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 stop. And his face is literally getting ready to collide with the spinning tire when the bike stops and they manage to get him free in time. But it's such a crazy thing that happens. This is actually how the Clanlands book ends. It's one of the final things. It's on the last day of their road trip that this happens. I just could not get away from this round of talking about men in kilts without discussing the motorcycle ride from hell. I wouldn't blame Graham one bit for not wanting to ever get back on a motorcycle or into a sidecar ever again. So that's how this episode starts out, which I was kind of surprised because like I said, it's one of the last things that happens in the actual Clanlands road trip. So I was kind of surprised to see it so early, but nevertheless, that is the full story of what happened. As we get going with this episode on tradition that literally covers everything from being a cotter to making haggis to buying a tweed suit, literally all the iconic Scottish things that you could possibly think of can be rolled into this one episode of tradition. And they actually start off this episode by going to the Stuart Christie shop. They're the oldest tailors in Scotland. I can't remember the exact year that their store was established, but it was the 1720s sometimes, 1726 or something like that, because it was 20 years prior to the Battle of Culloden is when that shop opened. Lots and lots of history going on. They actually still have some of the original scissors that were used to cut fabrics back in the day, which I thought was so cool. You know me, I'm a history nerd through and through. And to be able to actually lay hands on 300-year-old scissors just blows my mind. I thought that was so cool. And they're actually one of the few tailors in Scotland that actually still hand makes suits on the premises. Stuart Christie suits are extremely expensive, but that's part of the reason why, because not only are you buying the label and the brand, but you're also buying this handmade, hand-sewn suit that is made on the premises. And the store that they're actually in now is not their original store. They've been there for a long time. I can't remember what street it is, but it's like two streets over from Prince's Street. I remember because we drove past it. We went out to this little place. It's this picturesque little village just on the outskirts of Edinburgh, and there's a river that runs through it. It's kind of out off the wayside. It's really far to walk to, so we took a cab. So as we were coming back into the city, we passed Stuart Christie, and it's just one of those things that obviously I'd seen Men in Kilts by that point in time. I was like, oh, that's the store that Sam and Graham visited in Men in Kilts where they get their suits made. I was 
explaining this to my mom and she vaguely remembered. But I looked at her and I said, how freaking crazy would it be us as Americans being in Edinburgh to just like be driving down the road in a cab or walking down the road and looking and there's Sam Hewen and Graham McTavish filming a freaking TV show. I told her, I said, I would lose my shit. And I'm not typically one of those people that freaks out over famous people. Like, yeah, I go to conventions and I get autographs and I'll take pictures or whatever. But if I see people that I recognize for being on television or being a professional athlete or whatever, I'm not one of those people to walk up to them while they're in the middle of their everyday lives and ask for a picture because I recognize them as human beings that have lives and want privacy. But it's just the idea that you could literally be walking down the street and these people that we recognize as synonymous with the country of Scotland could be just walking down the street and walking into Stuart Christie. That just, that would have blown my mind. I'm not gonna lie. The original Stuart Christie shop, and I also thought this was cool because I knew exactly where she was talking about when she said it's on the Royal Mile across the street from St. Giles Cathedral. There's actually a series of clothing stores in that section of the shops on the Royal Mile across from St. Giles Cathedral because I went in one and I actually got a hat that says Scotland and has a fleece lining and it's super nice and I love it. I can just envision the original Stuart Christie shop there and she was saying, yeah, I can just picture all the Jacobites coming in for to get their big long plaids and their kilts made and everything like that, like walking up the Royal Mile. And I just thought that was really cool to kind of envision that because when you're on the Royal Mile, you can 100% throw yourself back into that time and place because there's not much that has changed about it. The Royal Mile has some automobile traffic, but it's mostly foot traffic. We were there in August this past time, the end of August, and the Fringe Festival and the Edinburgh Royal Military Tattoo was going on. And so it was a lot of people and you could almost just picture it. I'm doing my rewatch for season seven right now and I was watching Freedom and Whiskey last night where Claire goes back in time and it's that really cool transition where she steps into the puddle and then when the camera pans around again she's in 1766 Edinburgh. It really does like you can tell it's computer graphics but it really does look very similar to the Edinburgh that you can actually go and experience as a tourist today. It's just a beautiful city that hasn't changed much. I could literally go on and on about Edinburgh guys and you know this so I'm just gonna move on. The next thing that they do that's part of Scottish tradition is they talk to a Gaelic instructor. We did talk about Gaelic a little bit whenever we talked about Gillibridge Macmillan, so I'm not going to go into too much detail on Gaelic. The main thing that I gathered from this whole encounter with the Gaelic instructor was the midges and poor Sam. Okay, so I feel like midges are also part of Scottish tradition. (laughs) Definitely part of everyday Scottish life. And whenever we were there, we spent some more time up in the country this past time. Whenever you're in the cities, the midges aren't as bad. I feel like that's probably because there's not as much vegetation and standing water and things like that. So whenever we were there, we went to this little itty bitty town that's right on the water and we stayed there. And to walk back to our bed and breakfast at night, we had to walk up this staircase with thick vegetation on either side. And the midges 
were so bad. That's when I experienced them. Mom had more trouble with them when we were waiting to get on the ferry to go back to Oban from Mall. She got swarmed by midges and she said, yeah, they're every bit as bad as they had been described her to be. I'm really honestly surprised that they didn't bother me any more than they did because I get attacked by mosquitoes here in the United States. Mosquitoes and midges are not the same thing. Like I thought that they were in the same bug family and that they were very similar, but they're not at all. So I just want to clarify that midges are more like the little tiny black gnats that we get here in clouds sometimes, but they like get in your hair. Whenever they bite you, it doesn't hurt. It's just super itchy. Like you feel like you have something crawling on you and then your skin starts to itch and it's a very uncomfortable feeling. And Sam was talking about how on more than one occasion, he's described that these midges, they absolutely love him for some reason. And I, like I said, identify because the mosquitoes in Indiana are like that with me. But They love Sam for some reason. And you saw it even in this video, like Sam is just getting swarmed by midges. And while they're bothering Graham, they're not bothering him near as much as Sam. He said that they'll crawl under his wig on set and then basically just feast on his scalp and make him super itchy. And I just really had so much sympathy for him. Like we talk about these long hours and the bad weather and the things like that that they deal with while filming Outlander. But let's talk about the midges for a second, okay? Because I think that would knock me off my rocker if I had to deal with that days on end of just like an itchy head and never being able to stop itching. That would be miserable. So hats off to Sam for being such a trooper. I'm just gonna say that. So whenever they're talking about Gallic, we learned a little bit of a fun fact. In the first couple of seasons, a lot of the actors spoke Gallic. And I've touched on this before whenever we were talking about season one and season two. And the original intent of Gallic and not having subtitles and all of that, they wanted us to really feel immersed in the experience that Claire is going through and not being able to understand what's going on around her. But all of the actors actually had to phonetically learn that Gallic that they spoke in the scene. This wasn't really a big deal for most of the scenes, I would say 90% of the scenes, but there were a couple of instances where they had extended scenes in Gallic. You can look up the translations to these scenes online. There are Gallic-speaking people that have done a wonderful job of translating the script, but the scene that we get the details on is Graham's scene as Dougal when they're in this little tavern area and he's giving the speech encouraging people to be Jacobites and he rips Jamie's shirt off the very first time. So Graham had to memorize all of that Gallic and he obviously couldn't because it was six pages of dialogue, y'all. So they wrote him basically cheat cards But because Dougal doesn't wear glasses, Graham couldn't wear his glasses, so they had to write the letters of the cheat cards, like, super big. So I feel like anybody with impaired vision 
can 100% sympathize with that. But I thought that that was a fun little fact. And it was totally just Sam digging at Graham for having to use glasses and basically having like kindergarten flashcards of the big A, little A. Like that's how I envision these Gallic cheat cards that Graham had behind the camera when he was giving this speech. Something else that I kind of wanted to throw in with the Gallic stuff was Sam's reading of Ode to a Haggis, I think is what it's called. It was written by Robert Burns, and this is something that Stars released ahead of the Men in Kilts airing for Robert Burns Night. But it's one of those things that it's in Old Scots. All of Robert Burns's stuff is written that way. Freedom and Whiskey Gang Together. And every time I hear an actor do a rendition of a Burns poem, I just can't help but think that I literally don't understand 95% of what it means. Like you can get the general meaning, but I honestly think Old Scots is harder to understand than like Shakespeare by tenfold. And I just got to thinking, you know, say Outlander was a legit thing and not a creation of Diana Gabaldon's imagination. Even if Claire really did go back to 18th century Scotland. And even if they did speak English, which let's be honest, they would probably be speaking Gaelic all the time and hardly any English. The only people in the highlands of Scotland that spoke English were the lairds and any of their family and the clan chiefs, people that had a higher education and were well-traveled, spoke English. And that is the only time that they spoke English is when they absolutely had to. Gaelic was their first language and that's what they spoke with everybody. So even if Claire ran into somebody that spoke English, they would likely be speaking Old Scots which is the equivalent of Robbie Burns's poems. So the idea that Claire and Jamie would have ever gotten together in a realistic version of Outlander, I guess, is just not, wasn't computing with me as I was watching this. And not to say that I don't absolutely love Outlander, you guys know I do. But just while watching this episode of Men and Kills and listening to Sam read this poem from Robbie Burns really just made me pause for a minute and think about how real is Outlander really? Like I know that it's historically accurate as it can be, but um, yeah, <laughs> I just got to thinking about that. So there you go. That was my rabbit hole for the week, guys. Alrighty, so from there, I'm going to talk a little bit about some other Scottish language origins. Way back in the day, when Scotland was divided into Celts and all the different variations of what we now have today, the Vikings came across and raped and pillaged their way through Scotland and in the process left some of their culture behind for modern day Scots to incorporate. And we see a lot of this in the Scots language. So like I said, there's old Scots, right? But there's also modern Scots. And we see words like firth, which is an estuary, which I did not know until I went to Scotland the second time. You know, you hear about the Firth of Forth, the Firth of Clyde. And I was like, what the hell is a Firth? And my tour guide was like, it's an estuary. Okay, well, I recognize the word estuary and I'm like, oh, okay. 
And then I go back to my seat and I Google what an estuary is. So an estuary is an area of water where seawater meets fresh water. That's a firth. And we get all these different firths in Scotland. What it really is, is that word originates from the Norse word fjord. We also get greet, which is to cry, in, which is I, Keek, which means to look, kilt, which is an old Norse term meaning to tuck. So all of these Scots terms are actually Norse in origin. And even a lot of Scottish surnames like McIver, Macaulay, McCaskill, these are all Scandinavian in origin, meaning son of Ivor, son of Olaf, and son of Asgir. I even thought it was funny that as a youngster, Sam was obsessed with the Viking culture. We learn a little bit about this in the Clanlands book. And he actually helped on an archaeological dig near where he was growing up in southern Scotland. And I just thought that was so cool. Like that was his first life was as a archaeologist before he decided that he wanted to be an actor. <laughs> Alrighty. So we move on to a little bit of an interesting portion of this episode. I was kind of curious as to why this was included because it didn't really seem to fit in with Scottish tradition, but I also think it's one of those things that it didn't really seem to fit in anywhere else either. And that is talking about the use of herbs for medicinal purposes. And they talked to this woman named Claire Marcello, who she's actually one of the herbalist advisors for Outlander. A couple of the herbs that she discusses are garlic, which is actually a pretty potent antibiotic and it was used pretty frequently to prevent infection and to help fight gangrene. And then you get St. John's wort, which is a pain reliever, but also helps to stop bleeding and my favorite is bog myrtle, which deters insects. And I thought that was so funny because like I said, I get pestered to death by mosquitoes during the summer. It's part of the reason that I hate summertime with a passion. But bog myrtle also has this really lovely scent. And when I was in Scotland the first time and every time since, I always stop at the Highland Soap Company in Fort William. So I know some of my listeners are planning on going to Scotland this summer. If you get a chance to go to Fort William and you actually stop See if you can stop at the Highland Soap Company. There are Highland Soap Company stores in a lot of the major cities and even some of the smaller cities. So if you can't go to Fort William to the actual factory where they have all the different scents and products, try to stop into one of these little stores, but they have some really great scents. My favorite of theirs is the lemongrass and bog myrtle is my favorite scent, but they also have your typical ones like lavender, Highland heather, wild Scottish raspberries, honey and oats, basically any kind of natural Scottish scent that you could think of. They probably have something along those lines. And they have a lot of other products too. So it's definitely worth a try and it's really high quality stuff. I've never had a complaint about anything that I've bought there. And this episode is not sponsored by the Highland Soap Company. It's just something that I'm suggesting to you. From the herbalist, we move on to basket weaving, which kind of ties in very nicely with not only Graham's 
ancestry because he had a great grandfather. I can't remember to which degree the great is, but one of his ancestors, when they moved from Argyle to Edinburgh, he became a basket weaver. And so I just thought it was very cool that Graham kind of naturally picked up on this basket weaving technique. Sam's was pretty rough. I'm not gonna lie. And it made me wonder, since I crochet and I'm kind of crafty like that, how I would have done with basket weaving. It kind of makes me want to try it. It's a very cool technique. And I always like to try to buy local stuff like that. So it's one of those things that I'm like, if I can find a way to get a willow twig woven basket home from Scotland, I would, trust me. But since I normally am flying standby in and out of the UK, it's generally not a good idea to check baggage because you never know where it's going to go. But I really thought that it was cool and it, like I said, kind of weaves in nicely, pun intended to Sam's ancestry, if you will, more recent ancestry, because he comes from a very artsy family and his uncle is actually a wicker weaver. So he weaves baskets, but he also weaves wicker structures. He's the one that wove the stag at the Highland Festival that Roger and Bree go to in season four. And he also wove the fiery cross that gets burnt in 501. So a very crafty, very talented family. His mother an artist as well. And I just thought that that was very cool that Sam and Graham have that kind of connection. And it makes me wonder because, you know, basket weaving is included under the Scottish tradition episode. So how many people in Scotland know the basket weaving technique or something similar? Because that's just something that Sam and Graham have in common. I wonder how many other people have that in common with them as well. All right. So wrapping up this episode with the final topic that that I have for today is crofting. And it's a term that we hear over and over and over again across Outlander because crofting is just these little independent farms. I think the term has evolved a little bit over the years, but crofters, I think, often rent their land from a larger estate. I'm not sure if it's still that way, but I definitely know that it started out that way. Sam and Graham ventured over to the Isle of Skye to visit with these sheep crofters. And I was kind of in heaven whenever I watched this because I don't know if you guys remember this movie from back in the 90s called Babe. And it has a talking pig and talking geese and talking sheepdogs in it. And the pig thinks he's a sheepdog or wants to be a sheepdog. That is what I immediately think of anytime I see Border Collies herding sheep. (laughs) And I think it is so cool. Like Graham was freaking out because he was like, oh my God. It's so cool like that they know where to go and that they can whistle or do this slight hand gesture and they can like herd the sheep. It's so cool. A lot of times, actually, I don't know this for sure, but in my local Scottish festival that they have, which I keep meaning to go to, but I feel like we always have something planned that weekend because it's on a weekend in September, but they have sheepdog competitions at the Highland Festival that you can watch along with like whiskey tastings and they have bagpipe music and sword dancing and all this fun stuff. So I'm going to have to go one of these days. Like it's just going to have to happen. Anyway, I thought it was super cool watching the sheepdogs do their thing and the level of training that these dogs have to go through. They're extremely hardworking animals. And this is one of these reasons that 
I'm tempted to get on my soapbox, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to mention it. When you decide to get a dog, do some research in what kind of dog you're going to get. Like you don't just pick out a random puppy at a pet store or online or at a shelter. Like you need to know what the ancestry of that dog is or what the breed is when you buy it and know what kind of work needs to be put into it. Because Graham says, in this episode, these border collies are not family pets. They're working dogs. And like German Shepherds and Siberian Huskies, they have a job to do and they get very stir crazy and very destructive whenever they can't use their energy towards a purpose like herding sheep or pulling sleds through snow or searching for missing people, what have you. So very important to know what kind of dog you're getting whenever you get it because these border collies, they're amazingly smart. You can see it by how they just know how to do their job and how to herd. And it's part natural instinct, but it's also a lot of work on the part of the owner as well. So very impressive all around. I loved watching every bit of it just as much as I loved Sam and Graham trying to herd sheep. And hands down, watching Sam trip over his own feet whilst trying to herd the sheepdogs makes me feel a little bit better about myself and how clumsy I can be because he's a pretty athletic guy. Like that's not stating anything other than the obvious. Like he's very active. He freaking hiked the West Highland Way. So the fact that I trip over myself, (laughs) it makes me feel a little bit better. Like I'm not alone out in the universe of clumsy people, I guess. But anyway, that kind of sums up my thoughts on Scottish tradition and this whole episode. Again, yet another great episode. It's always fun to join Sam and Graham, and I feel like it's one of those things where when you're in Droughtlander and you don't really have anything else to do and you just want to spend time with friends for a little bit, just pull out an episode of Men in Kilts because it's fun. I always enjoy myself. No new Outlander news this week. I'm really expecting a trailer to be coming by the end of April, like around the end of April, maybe the first week of May, because again, season seven airs on June 16th. They have moved to Friday nights, but Stars has said that it will still be released at midnight Eastern time of that day. So technically, if you want to stay up and watch the episode when it comes out, you can watch it on Thursday nights. I actually did the math. So I know in the last episode, I was like, if you start on April 1st and watch an episode, yada, yada. It's actually April 2nd. If you start on April 2nd and watch one episode per Per day, you can watch all six seasons of Outlander and end with the season six finale only a few hours prior to the start of season seven. So yes, season seven is coming. We should be getting a trailer soon. We should start getting some of those behind the scenes things starting to roll through. I imagine we'll probably be getting a scene released of some sort here in the near future. All of that stuff's going to start happening because we are only a couple months away, guys. We're like like 10 weeks away from season seven airing. And I know it's only the first half. And I know that some of you are really frustrated that we're going to have such a long break. But I cannot stress enough how fortunate we are to not be waiting. So I guess you just have to choose to be positive about it and say, okay, we could get the first 
eight episodes of season seven now, or we could wait another six months to get it. I would rather have half of it now. I don't know about y'all that have been complaining about us having a split season. I would rather have eight episodes now and eight episodes later. It's going to make my life a lot easier as far as podcasting goes. And I get new episodes of Outlander six months sooner. So I was pretty happy about it. It was not surprising for me that they split it because I expected them to kind of follow the season one footprint. I thought it less and less likely the longer we went without hearing, but again, wasn't entirely surprised when they did end up making that announcement. Another thing that I'm also thinking, and I don't know if this is going to help those that are upset or not, but probably part of the condition of the actors renewing their contracts for season eight. I don't know if you guys know much about how TV contracts work and stuff. And granted, I don't know any of the specifics. This is all speculation. What I do know is that all the main cast, their original contracts were good through the seventh season. So literally every single member of the cast had to agree to a contract extension for an eighth season. That's a lot of negotiation. That's a lot of trying to make people happy. Think about the time and energy that goes into this show and how many projects these actors have given up to create Outlander. They love Outlander and, you know, I know they're grateful to us for the careers that they have because of Outlander, but you still can't ask them to continue to give up other opportunities as well. So I think likely what happened was as part of the negotiation process for them to agree to an eighth and final season where they could wrap everything up with a nice bow, probably what happened was that they negotiated with stars to have a longer break between season seven and season eight filming. And that is why they chose to split season seven into two parts, both to give us a shorter Droughtlander and to give the actors an opportunity to pursue other projects. We just had it announced this week that Sam is going to be in a brand new show that's double featuring on Channel 4 in the UK and Stars in the US. It's going to be a thriller, six-part miniseries. It's going to be really great, but this is why we need these breaks between filming so that we can get other things too. I didn't mean for that to turn into a lecture, but I just need you guys to understand that this break between part one and part two of season seven is not the end of the world. It's not even unheard of because it's exactly what was done in season one. And a lot of shows are doing that now. So I'm good with how it is. I know a lot of people are good with how it is, but I've also seen a lot of complaints on my social media. And so I wanted to take this opportunity to kind of address those complaints and maybe make you understand a little bit of why they are doing what they're doing. Angela is coming back on the show to discuss everything we think we can expect by episode. That is going to be on May 27th at 2 p.m. Eastern time. So that's going to be a Facebook Live on TSF Snacks. If you are unable to make the Facebook Live, Dinafash, because it will be available in podcast form as well. It will probably just be about a week before I get it all edited and put out there to the masses. So keep that in mind because that is very close to when we will be getting season seven. And I had to put it there because I'm going to be out of town like the following three weeks. So that leads right up 
to season seven premiere. Hope you'll join me and Angela on May 27th for our countdown to season seven episode. We're gonna be breaking everything down by what we think will go in each episode based off of hopefully episode titles if Stars chooses to release those this season, as well as any behind the scenes little tidbits that we've gotten, any clues that we have as far as where things are gonna lie for those first eight episodes. So looking forward to that. I hope I will see you there and make sure to join me next week when I am discussing the sixth episode of Men in Kilts on Scotland by Land, by Air, and by Sea. And I will chat at you later. You guys stay safe out there.